You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Yes or no to this statement. China does capitalism better than America. Well, perception can say a lot. And in a recent poll, 53% of Americans identified China as the world's leading financial power. Guess what? The U.S. is still number one. The 53% who say that China is first are wrong. Or are they simply early? I'm John Donvan. Welcome to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two teams of two, who will argue for this motion and against this motion. We go in three rounds of debate, then the audience votes to choose the winner. Our debaters, each connected in his own way to the China story, Orville Schell, who heads the Center for U.S.-China Relations at the Asia Society. Now, Orville Schell, many hats on your head. You are a journalist and now an in-house thinker at the Asia Society. You were coming and going to China already 30 years ago when doing such a thing here was seen as really beyond exotic. And then before that, as an undergraduate at Harvard, you studied Far Eastern history. So what sparked this interest for you in the first place? Well, paradoxically, I think it was the fact that you couldn't go there. And that lent a kind of a, uh, a kind of a quality uh, to it that uh, was somewhat mysterious and begged effort to uh, bridge that gap. Is that fun over now? No, because China still uh, is a fickle mistress and a very uh, difficult place to finally divine. All right. Your debating partner is Peter Schiff. Peter is CEO of Euro-Pacific Capital. And Peter, you advised Ron Paul in 2008. And talk about being right early. You called the U.S. housing bubble long before most people even saw it coming. And you're a guy who makes predictions, and you speak the language of inevitability, and you don't give yourself a lot of room to back away. But on China-U.S., what if you turn out to be wrong? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that China's story is, is, is unfolding, and I think there is tremendous opportunity uh, for investors to make money as China uh, continues on its journey uh, towards capitalism. And I think they are abandoning some of the... Uh, 
the ideas of the past, not necessarily in, in favor of what America is today, hopefully maybe more of what America used to be in the past. Uh, but, you know, I mean, if I'm, if I'm wrong, if uh, the political winds blow in a different direction, you know, I've got investments all around the world. It's not, it's not only China. <laughs> I am but, so uh, relieved. But, yeah. <laughs> right. Thank but, you, know, Peter Schiff. I just want to bring it over to the other side. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America. And Ian Bremmer, you are arguing against that motion. Ian, you, uh, you went to college when you were 16. 15. 15. I, I lied about my age, but at it age was 22. At the time. Yeah. Had Macar- to. MacArthur Fellowship at 22. Hoover National Fellow at 25. At 28, you founded a global risk consultancy called the Eurasia Group. So with all the work and all the thinking you do, where do you rank China among the things that you think about? Oh, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, we've been spending our time thinking about the United States in terms of the uh, financial crisis, the European crisis, and of course now everyone wants to know about Iran. And of course the fact is, and this is one thing that all four of us I think will agree on, the most important question that we need to answer is ultimately the disposition of China over the next five, ten years. We've taken our eye off that ball. It's going to get back. And your partner, also saying that China does not do capitalism better than America, Minxing Pei. Minxing, you are a professor at Claremont McKenna. You're born in China, but you've been here 27 years and counting. You're a dual citizen. You also have another duality. You're a political scientist with a Harvard PhD, but you also have a master's in creative writing. So what does that tell us? First of all, I want to correct. Uh, uh, I only have... uh U.S. citizenship. The Chinese government will not allow me to uh-huh. have dual citizenship. Uh, well, being, uh, having two terminal degrees gives me enormous advantage because most political scientists cannot write clearly. And when, <laughs> because I've, uh, I've had this creative writing degree, I can write more clearly than many of my colleagues. All right. Well, and it- <laughs> Thank you, Minxing. And let's let this debate begin. On to round one. Round one is opening statements from each debater in turn. To speak first for the motion, Peter Schiff, CEO for Euro-Pacific Capital. He writes books. He has a radio show. The radio show is named after you, so there's no burden of false modesty or reticence here. <laughs> Luckily for us, ladies well, and gentlemen... I'm the only one on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Schiff. I thought maybe a more appropriate way to have framed this debate is not, you know, does China do capitalism better but it might be, might be, does America do capitalism worse than China? Because neither modern America or China does capitalism anywhere near as well as we did it in the 19th century. I mean, if you think about America at the end of the 19th century, in the year 1900, the government spent 3% of the GDP on all levels, 3%. Today, the American government spends better than 40% of our GDP. If you look at China... It's about half as much. If you look at taxes, which is a real measure of freedom, you know, back in America in the 1900s, we had no income taxes. We had no corporate income tax, no state income taxes. Americans were truly free in the sense that they got to keep the production, the fruits of their labor. If you look at modern America and modern China, taxes are very high. They're just a lot higher here. The typical American pays a much higher share of his income in taxes than the typical Chinese worker does. If you look at corporations, our corporate income tax now is, what, 35 percent, China's 25. We tax dividends at 15 percent. They're at 10 percent. So a significant difference in the amount of money that the individuals are allowed to keep. Also, if you look at the regulatory environment in both China and the United States, I would argue that a young entrepreneur in America today is going to face bigger obstacles in his path that have been placed there by the government 
than you would have in China. The cost of complying with all the rules and regulations in America exceeds the costs in China. And not just the rules and regulations, but surviving the litigation. If you look at the debt, I mean, America has, our government has an enormous debt. Our debt is now 100% of our GDP. The Chinese government doesn't have anywhere near that kind of liability. In fact, if you looked at China, China is today the world's largest creditor nation. America is the world's biggest debtor nation. China has large trade surpluses. America has enormous trade deficits. So if, if you think that America is more capitalist than, than China or China is more socialist, then you must think that socialism is a, is a better economic system because, after all, the Chinese are more successful if you want to measure it by the accumulation of assets, by the, the, uh, the positive uh, balance of trade. And more importantly, they are accumulating massive savings. If you look at China, they, you know, they have a savings rate of close to 50 percent. We have a savings rate of basically negative. In fact, we rely in America on a Ponzi scheme called Social Security. They don't have Social Security in China. Uh, they don't have a lot of these big government programs that we have uh, in, in the United States. Look at, our, look at our monetary system. I mean, we have the Federal Reserve price-fixing interest rates at practically zero. And all the macroeconomic imbalances that we create, credit isn't being allocated by the market. It's being allocated by government. The government is deciding who should get money and who shouldn't get money. It does all of this through the tax code and through the Federal Reserve. Yes, you've got uh, something similar going on in China, only in China I think it's a more, more above board. Yes, you know, there is government and you know that government's involved and maybe you have to bribe the right a, a, a bureaucrat, but the same thing is going on in the United States. We're just not as above board with it. We're not even close to being a capitalist country anymore in the United States. But what's more important is the direction in which the pendulum is swinging. In, a, in China, it's swinging towards capitalism. Unfortunately, in America, it's swinging away. Thank you, Peter Schiff. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America, and our next debater is going to speak against the motion. Ian Bremer, his company Eurasia Group, makes its money by helping companies figure out when investing overseas is risky or not, and so being right about China is practically his business model. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Bremer. First of all, Orville said that China is a fickle mistress, and so getting China right is hard. And one thing we do all need to admit is that the level of volatility in outcomes in China over the next 10 to 20 years is vastly greater than the level of volatility in the United States. Can China make it? Can they fundamentally transform their economic and political system? A country of 1.3 billion people. We know they need to do it. World Bank just made it very clear. The Chinese government admitted it themselves. It's a bet. If you have to make a bet, you bet on the United States. A lot of people do. That's why the U.S. still has the world's reserve currency. I don't know, even know where to start on this, frankly, having just heard that China needs to bribe the right bureaucrats, but same in the United States, we're not as above board about that. That's on its face ludicrous, right? Uh, China is a system where if you want to do well at the highest levels, 52% of the GDP is, 62% of the GDP is state-owned enterprises. Absolutely, there's no rule of law, there's no transparency. You don't have as many regulations in China as the U.S., that is true. Does that mean China does capitalism better? No, it means that if you're China and you want to move a village and build a road, you can. 
It is not clear to me that that is capitalism in its most effective or even most rapacious form. That's the state doing what it wants to do for the state. That's the problem. You want to talk about state intervention. We've got it. We've got it in China. Look, the Chinese system is not just capitalist. It's state capitalist. State capitalism is a system where the state is the principal actor in the economy, and it uses markets ultimately for their own political gain. If it turns out that profit is useful for their political gain, they'll go for it. If it turns out it isn't, they'll go against it. I mean, Facebook's doing a pretty good IPO, but they're not in China. Why? China doesn't want Facebook in China. It'd make a lot of money. It'd make a lot of money for China. That's not the point. Ultimately, when we've seen state capitalism work globally, it works until it fails. And it works because despite the fact that the state is massively inefficient, and I suspect Peter admits that the state is massively inefficient, and it is in lots of forms, but it, it can hide its inefficiency through cheap stuff. Argentina was state capitalist, looked as good as the United States in the Western Hemisphere over 100 years ago until they ran out of cheap land. And then they started defaulting. Venezuela looked great on cheap oil. Not so much anymore. China's looked great for 34 years on the basis of cheap labor. That's where the inefficiency is going to be as labor gets more expensive. That's where the inefficiency will be when the United States and other Western multinationals stop giving them technology to rip off. Another problem with Chinese state capitalism is it creates enemies. You know, there are a lot of folks around Asia. They see the Chinese economic miracle, but they're begging the United States to maintain a presence. Why? Because China does capitalism better than the United States? I don't think so. We are entering an environment of fear. We're entering an environment of volatility. When things get more volatile, we don't just bet on go-go growth anymore. We put our money under the mattresses. Central banks do that too. And in that environment, the world's largest economy, also ultimately the most resilient, United States of America. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ian Bremmer. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Here's our motion. China does capitalism better than America. We have heard the first two speakers, and now on to the third. Uh, Orville Schell is uh, head of the US Center for U.S.-China Relations at the Asia Society. You have also written something like nine books that have the word China in the title. You know what you're talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, Orville Schell. I would say the comparison between capitalism in the United States and China is as much divided by the fact that capitalism here has in many ways failed its promise. And there, in a very counterintuitive way, one we hardly have expected. The Chinese Communist Party has managed to graft on a certain kind of guerrilla mobility on the Leninist rigidity to make their system actually function in a way which I think all of us would agree over the past three decades has been quite extraordinary. So I think uh, if we look at America, we find a country that is in quite a bit of psychological self-doubt at this particular moment. We find a country that has had much of its government, many of its leaders, uh, besieged by irrationality, religiosity. Uh, they don't believe in evolution. They don't believe in climate change. We cannot pass a simple measure in Congress 
to extend the national debt, which is not going to not happen. How can a government that is so paralyzed by its own inability to see reason be the custodian over that critical part of every economy that a government must preside over? So let's quickly just look um, at what we see in China. In many ways, the very things that we used to impute to China as a great weakness, namely over-reliance on ideology, are now the very things that are hampering our own country, while China, governed by engineers and technocrats, tends to look at reason. There are no climate deniers in China. I have never spoken to a Chinese who doubted evolution, and yet the ranks of the American political uh, houses of Congress are replete with these people, and they are making decisions which govern how we live and govern the American economy. China also has managed, in a way that I think uh, it deserves our esteem, to combine the public with the private and to act when things need to be done. Do you remember when we looked at five-year plans as quaint throwbacks to some retrograde period of Stalinist economics? Well, I think the United States could do with a good five-year plan. We can't plan for three months ahead. So finally, I would say that we would do well not to assume that China has nothing to teach the United States. It may be that this system will not endure in the future. It has many structural weaknesses. But to date, I would say it has been ascending while our own form of capitalism has been in a state of decline. And whether we have the ability to grab it at the last minute from its final collapse is a question uh, which will remain for years to come. Thank you, Orville Schell. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America. And our final debater speaking against the motion uh, speaks the Chinese language better than anyone on this stage. He has the advantage of having been born there, but he has been living here uh, for decades, a professor of government at Claremont McKenna. The titles of his books and articles on China's future use phrases like China's trapped transition, looming stagnation. So we don't need to ask what he really thinks. Uh, but here's more of what he does think. Ladies and gentlemen, Minqing Pei. I think the, the impression that China is doing capitalism better than the U.S., uh, is understandable. That's because it's a very superficial impression. Uh, one reason why that impression is widespread is that China has been growing fast. But there's a reason China is growing fast. Low-income countries tend to grow much faster than rich countries because they have much bigger growth potential. Do not judge whether a country does capitalism better or worse by just looking at its gross numbers. Second, when you compare the two countries, the U.S. and China, you have to look at facts. So what are the facts? If you look at corporate profits, U.S. companies are far more profitable than Chinese companies. When you look at tax collection, I have to disagree with Peter. He said that Chinese, uh, the Chinese state collects less taxes than the U.S. The opposite is true. The U.S. government takes about federal, state, about 30% of GDP. The Chinese government collects 35%. But that's not the end of the story. Because in the U.S., you actually get some, something back from the government in the form of social security, health care, Medicare, Medi- Medicaid, 
in China, you get very little back because the bulk of government taxes is spent on government consumption. Then you look at international comparison, and here China does not look nearly as good as the U.S. Corruption. Uh, there's a NGO based in Berlin called Transparency International. It publishes every year a global index called uh, Corruption Perception Index. On this index, the U.S. is ranked 24th as the least corrupt country in the world. China is ranked 75. Then you look at something like innovation ranking. The U.S. is number seven. China is 29. You look at ease of doing business. This is by the World Bank. Overall ranking for the U.S. is number four in the world. China is number 91. Then starting on business, U.S. is number 13. China is number 151. Finally, I want to imagine, what will the Politburo members think about this debate? If for some reason they, they've learned that in New York City they are debating whether China does capitalism better than the U.S., I think their first reaction is not to laugh. <laughs> then the second reaction, they say, the Americans have very short memories. Because when Sputnik was launched, everybody thought the Soviet Union was the dominated world. And then in the late 1980s, Japan was dominating the headlines. Everybody thought Japan was doing capitalism better than the U.S. So I think what we are experiencing, a period of self-doubt. I'm sure the real issue is not about China. The real issue is about the U.S. U.S. can do capitalism much better than it does. But China, at least for the moment and for the foreseeable future, will not be doing capitalism anywhere close to the U.S. in terms of competition, efficiency, even social justice. Thank you. Thank you. Now on to round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. This is where the debaters uh, address each other directly and answer questions from the audience and from me. We have here two teams of two who are arguing out this motion, China does capitalism better than America. We've heard the team arguing in support of the motion, Peter Schiff and Orville Schell, um, basically saying um, China does capitalism better because there's actually more freedom to do things that involve capitalism, that there are fewer regulations, that there are lower taxes. It is not pure capitalism, and they're not arguing that, but they're saying that it's more pure than the U.S. has had in the last 100 years. The team arguing against the motion, Ian Bremmer and Min Pei, they're making the argument that what's Ch- what China's doing, even if it could be called capitalism, is something that's probably cruising for a crash that when the government is the biggest player in the market, as they argue that it is, point out that it is, this tends to lead to corruption and to cronyism and ultimately to exposure of the lack of real innovation. So I want to take a question from this side's argument to that side, and that's that argument that what we're seeing from China, this enormous growth rate, your opponents have pointed out, number one is the result of China coming off a much lower baseline. And uh, when, when things get really volatile, things can really fall apart there. And they're essentially saying that what's happening in China over the long haul is a blip. Is it a blip? As far as whether the trajectory is sustainable, I think not only is it just sustainable, but I think it's going to get better because the real country that's headed for a crisis is America. And I think what's dragging the Chinese down is their currency peg. They're loaning America 
all this money so America can keep buying the products that Americans really can't afford. And so as a result, the Chinese are debasing their currency and they're creating a lot of inflation, which is destabilizing their economy and I think undermining the standard of living of their own citizens, which would be rising even faster if the Chinese government simply let the RMB rise in value, let the dollar tank, and the real crash is coming here because then interest rates skyrocket, the dollar tanks, consumer prices go through the roof, and we have our Greek moment only there's no Europe to bail us out. Ian Bremmer, do you want to respond? Well, yeah, we're not heading for a Greek moment. I mean, comparing us with Greece is, is almost as ludicrous as comparing yeah, us with China. it's not fair to the Greeks. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you even believe that, but leave it aside. Um, uh, with the, 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 the United States um, has so many strong intrinsic advantages in terms of not just the matter of where the dollar sits, but also, I mean, 30% of the world's calories come from the United States. People increasingly fighting over food. That's a real problem for China. The environment in China is absolutely falling apart. If you look at environment-adjusted GDP, it's so much worse than the growth you see presently. All of these things are problematic, and the ability of the Chinese to suddenly make a decision to go away from the dollar, you have to go into something. What exactly are you going into? You're going into the euro in an enormous way? I don't see that in terms of massive growth opportunities. You're going into Japan? We already said we had two lost decades there. You're going to go into gold or hard commodities? You can do some of that. And as you go away from the dollar, you, of course, ruin the position that you have in the rest of those dollars. Look, China's not going to well, do that. They haven't, and they're not going Orville to. Shell, let's bring you into the debate. You know, this isn't exclusively about one country or another. We're doing a comparison here. I think if this country cannot grasp reason again, uh, it doesn't matter how good or bad China will be. China may have an unfair advantage. I think what's going on in Washington right now is so utterly mad and broken that I put no confidence whatsoever in their ability to play that essential role that every government, and I may disagree with you here, Peter, but every government must play. And we are not playing it. And Norville Schell, you, you, in making that point before, you went on to say that you think that the model of planning, which we used to think was quaint, quaint and slightly ridiculous, maybe we should be looking at a new light now, Minching Pei. What about that? Is a little planning a well, good thing uh, after all? Uh, or a China, lot of planning? They, they plan a lot, except they do nothing about the plans they draw up. Because if you look at Chinese uh, five-year plans, you think, my gosh, these guys are very strategic. Then five years later, and you do some kind of plan accounting, and you see what has been accomplished, very little. Peter Schiff. Well, there, well first of all, one of the things that you, you mentioned, you said that American citizens, we get all kinds of benefits from our government that the Chinese citizens don't get. Well, I would say that we get a lot more liability. If you try to figure out what each American share is of the national debt, it is enormous. So what the government is giving the American people is debt. I would much rather, and if you're talking about capitalism, you're defending capitalism by saying we get Social Security. What's capitalistic about a centrally planned retirement system that's financed like Bernie Madoff ran his investment business? I think it's much better that the Chinese are free to keep their income and plan for their own retirement. Let me just say something about China. The debt that we know about, because uh, Peter says that in the U.S., uh, every citizen uh, uh, shoulders is responsible for a lot of government debt. The same thing is true of China, because the Chinese national debt is actually higher than the American debt. In China, the nominal debt is low, 20%. But the Chinese government knows better than Bernie Madoff. Okay? Does 
a much better job in hiding its liabilities. The trouble with the Chinese people is that after paying taxes, having their government uh, incur so much debt, they get no social security. They get no social protection. That's why I think even capitalists are coming to this country to enjoy some kind of protection. Well, Certainly, Orville Shell, uh, well, respond. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, China is implementing, trying to implement a health care system, a social security system. And you, when you say the Chinese people have gotten nothing out of the last 30 years of development, you have surely seen the infrastructure. We haven't built a tunnel in New York City since the 1920s and the 1930s. China's throwing these things up overnight. Bridges, uh, you name it. Now, I don't I don't want to idealize China's system, but I do want to, uh, uh, you know, give credit where credit is due. And it is unfair to say that no benefit is derived from the amazing development and, of the last three years. Does, does, does this side concede no. that point? Uh, no, uh, I don't concede that point at all. Well, Ian Bremer, yeah, like, I, do you want to come in on this? It's, I wouldn't say that. The, to say that Chinese get nothing, of course, is, is ludicrous. That's like comparing the United States to Greece. We don't want to do that, right? They're clearly Chinese citizens are doing better on average than they were before. There's no question. Although, if you ask where a lot of the profitability from that development has gone, it's gone to the United States. I mean, you look at Apple, you look at the manufacturing the iPad, $9 is $10 is captured by China, and about 60 goes back to Apple and its shareholders, most of whom are Americans. I mean, there's a reason why American multinationals actually do better. Look, we have a problem in the United States that increasingly a large percentage of Americans, um, you know, they're not doing as well. They don't have as much opportunity. We have to address that because if not, long term, those folks are going to get upset. But they're not going to be as upset as the hundreds of millions of Chinese that will eventually face a crash and will have no opportunity, no option to really revolt against. A couple of things. I mean, first of all, you you talk about the profits of the U.S. corporations. We'll see how how real those profits are when interest rates go up and and, and they're facing an entirely different environment. But you keep talking about living in America. Yes, I'm not saying that it's not better to live in America. We still live pretty good because we're able to borrow all this money. We have a phony economy that is perpetuated based on debt. When this debt bubble bursts, it's going to be a whole different story. I don't doubt that people would want to live in America, giving our livings, giving our lifestyle, but that's going to change. Minxing Pei, there's a lot of pessimism about the U.S. on this side. That's a, a fair way to argue this because there's a two-part, this is a two-part argument, China up and U.S. down. So they're more heavily, I would say, on U.S. down than China up. You guys are... Well, uh, people inside China are not very optimistic either about the country's uh, future prospects. Uh, the high growth period for China is over. I urge you to read the World Bank's latest report on China called China 2030. This is what it says. From now on until 2030, if China does well, its average growth will be somewhere between 6 and 7%. And if China does not do the set of reforms the World Bank recommended, probably China cannot even achieve a much reduced level of growth because China is coming into an era where savings will be a lot lower, the population will be a lot older, the environmental costs will be a lot more visible. If you, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have been to Beijing. In the future, when you're Beijing, you should bring along a spacesuit. What, mes- what, what is the message that's getting out to the developing world? Who do they want to be? Do, do developing countries want to be us, or do they want to be China? Orville Shell, why don't you take it? Well, I think it's interesting. It's still, the United States has tremendous luster. I mean, it is a great dream machine, and we have a great country, and many Chinese would like to live here. But what is interesting in the last few years is the number of Chinese who've gone home. 
and they've gone home because they see opportunity. And I would have to say that these great American virtues of get it done, whatever it takes, can do, more and more have been incarnate in China and less and less in America. Ian Bremer, same question. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that China has that kind of luster internationally, and it's part because the Chinese system is really one that is focused on China, period. I mean, one of the major problems China has is that for them to build a state capitalist system, they have to support China and the Chinese market, where the system that the United States supports is really one of having as much access to global competition and markets as possible, right? We want broader markets. Now, I understand that uh, they'd rather have a Chinese standard than an American standard, but the point is the Chinese are saying we want a Chinese standard as opposed to a global standard. Other countries don't like that. They want more efficiency. And from that perspective, Chinese incursion into the, free, the global free market. My last book was called The End of the Free Market, not because I thought the United States wasn't going to have a free market anymore, but because I thought that the rise of China as the world's second largest economy eroded what had been global free markets and competition and actually poses an enormous problem for third-party countries. As China gets larger, that challenge grows. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. We're in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have two teams of two debating this motion, China Does Capitalism Better Than America? Questions from the audience. I'm Norbert Swislocki. I lived in China for five years. Uh, this is a question on labor. To what extent does the uh, labor market in China fuel Chinese economy, whereas the labor market in the United States seems to thwart it? Minching Pei, why don't you take that first, then we'll come to your side. Uh, The labor market in China is still not as free as it appears to be. What China has done in uh, terms of making its growth faster is to move a lot of labor from agriculture into the cities. The, the moment they, that happens, automatically they produce a lot more because that's in urban areas, their jobs actually pay them more. So that's one. Uh, but in terms of labor mobility, rural migrants in China still suffer a lot of discrimination because if they move to cities, I'm sure they do not enjoy the benefits of urban residents. For example, they, have to, they cannot enroll their kids in public schools, and they do not enjoy any retirement pension. That's available only for state workers. And, and Ching, how, how is that statement ammunition for you on this motion? If you look at the labor market per se, you would say China's labor market is not as free, as well-developed, or even regulated than the U.S., uh, Peter well, Schiff? I would argue that our, our labor market is hardly a bastion of freedom either. I mean, uh, first of all, we have a minimum wage law that effectively uh, makes it illegal to hire a pretty you know, sizable chunk of our population that can't get a job. Uh, but even uh, for the Americans who are employed, you have the, go- the government uh, dictating uh, to employers criteria upon which they have to base their decisions on who to hire and who to promote. And there's all sorts of mandates that as an employer, you are required. You have to do this. You have to do that. And I would think that if you're an employer in China and you're you're hiring people, I don't think that you have to worry about that as much as an employer in America, uh, that that you're going to be sued by your employee because you you passed them over for a promotion or maybe you didn't hire somebody and they want to sue you and claim it's because of, you know, you're handicapped or you're a different race. And, you know, 
know, I mean, I don't know if you and, want to hold And to up. nail it to the motion, you're saying, though, that, that those conditions make it a better form of, a, a more efficient form of capitalism. Well, I think the, the fewer rules that you have, I think in, in labor, employees and employers should be free to negotiate with one another over the terms of their employment without any interference whatsoever from government. Right in the center. Hi, my name is McKinnon Webster. I was curious that no one mentioned human rights once um, this evening, and I'm wondering if you think that that plays a role in a debate on capitalism. You know, I think uh, uh, the uh, United States has, over the last decade, been not exactly exemplary as an evangelist for human rights, which has stilled our, our voice to some degree. And this is an aspect of the Chinese system which uh, is not exemplary. But uh, having said that, I think uh, we have to be honest that authoritarian capitalism has been able to do things that uh, a freer form of capitalism sometimes fails to be able to do. Look, that's certainly true. I mean, God forbid you're forced to hand, hire disabled people, right? Right. Yes. That's, but... But we can't compare human rights in the United States with China, obviously. The U.S. still makes, does a lot of things wrong. It's like this broader debate. The U.S. does a lot of things wrong on capitalism, but it's still vastly more effective than China. The U.S. has a lot of problems in human rights, but China isn't in the same league, right, and on the same league sheets. Let's be very clear. And while I think that a certain level of human rights abuses facilitates rapacious capitalism, especially in the short term, at the long, in the long term, it will bite you in the hiney, right? And there are other places that you get problems too. I did talk about transparency and the fact that places like Facebook and Google and Twitter are a problem for China because they want to own that data. They want to control it. They want to shape it. They want Chinese state internet, just like they have state capitalism. That's a problem for them. In terms of general transparency, um, you know, in, in the United States, you know, you do actually know largely what your officials are up to. Look, Solyndra was a disaster. It's a bad thing for the United States. Peter and I will agree on that, right? But we found out about it. In China, they don't want to tell you about Solyndra. You don't have media that's getting inside the, the, you know, sort of the dirty laundry of serious Chinese officials. They are engineers that run the country. They're also billionaires. Let's remember that. And, and that's the problem of the lack of human rights and transparency in China. It doesn't facilitate creative destruction. It doesn't facilitate allowing the Chinese people to take advantage of a free market. Maybe the Chinese people would be just as good capitalists as we are, but unfortunately, their system doesn't allow it to be. That's a problem. Sir. Hi, my name is Guy Wiggins. I just wanted to hear from the panel their thoughts on how the one-child policy has affected um, capitalism in China and what the future means when you have far more men than women and how that's going to basically, I think, lead to all kinds of irrationalities and inefficiencies uh, in the market. I wondered how you were going to turn that to the motion. That was very good. That was very good. (laughs) Well, here here I would say the uh, advantage is emphatically on the American side because we have immigration. China does not, and China has one of the most rapidly aging populations and the lower reaches are not being replenished with the one-child policy, so it's going to have a huge burden of taking care of elderly people and not have younger people coming in on the bottom to support them. That's going to be a giant problem. I agree with Orville, not surprisingly. Uh, And and 
furthermore, um, it also leads China to export not just capital when they try to extract commodities, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa, but also labor because they need to do something with those men. That's a problem for African countries that want to have employment in addition to Chinese cash, and eventually it leads to a backlash. Again, Chinese state capitalism is a problem not just because of domestic inefficiencies, but because of the backlash it creates globally. That's one we haven't started to experience yet because China isn't big enough yet, but as it gets bigger, it's going to get squeezed. What we're debating at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, China does capitalism better than America. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two debating this motion, and we're taking questions from the audience. Sir. Hello, my name is Ed Sapin. First of all, thank you all for being here tonight. It's, uh, it's pretty striking to me we've been talking about capitalism. I haven't really heard much discussion about entrepreneurship, so I'd be curious to hear from the panelists What's your view of the link between entrepreneurship and capitalism, and which country does it better? Yeah. Although entrepreneurship isn't, you know, we think about somebody starting a high-tech company. I mean, an entrepreneur could just be a guy that goes out and, you know, starts a fruit stand or a supermarket. You don't have to be innovative, but what you have to do is be able to uh, take control of, of, of people and, and, and property and put them together and run a business in a way to generate a profit. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs making a lot of profit in China. And that is going to continue. And that's a function of gaining more freedom and moving away from a centrally planned economy and grabbing more of free market principles. And as I said earlier, I think that as a young person in China wanting to start a small business, whatever it is, I think that young person in China is going to have a better chance of succeeding than his counterpart here. I think there will be fewer obstacles placed in his path okay, by I'll... government uh, to that success. Okay. Minching uh, Pei. I think that young person will be so shocked to hear this because this, these are the facts. If you are a private entrepreneur in China, you cannot open a private bank. You cannot get into telecom services. You cannot get into energy. You cannot get into national resources. You cannot get into 14 other very important sectors because these are the sectors reserved for state-owned companies. You cannot get bank loans. You don't have secure property rights. If you get into a dispute with another entrepreneur, with another businessman, whether you win that dispute does not depend on whether you have a good case. It depends on whether you know the Communist Party secretary in charge of the legal system. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each. Our motion is, China does capitalism better than America. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Ian Bremmer. He is president of Eurasia Group and author of the upcoming book, Every Nation for Itself, Winners and Losers in a G-Zero World. Thank you very much. My colleague, partner, Minchin, just talked about all the things you couldn't do to set up in China in terms of entrepreneurship, but he didn't mention fruit stands. Those you can, and perhaps there's a Tunisian model in the future for China. That's, I think it's an interesting question. Um, I thought I'd end. I thought I would end with the future. Um, you know, one of the things the United States does better than anyone else in the world is creative destruction. I like independent bookstores, but I tell you, when Amazon came along, right, they got smashed. That may not be a society that you all want to live in. You may like independent bookstores, but a society does capitalism better. Creative destruction is what powers the American market. The single biggest game-changing innovation in the world today is 
fracking and unconventional oil. It is changing the nature of global energy. It is overwhelmingly dominated by U.S. universities and research, U.S. entrepreneurs, a bunch of Canadians in there too, don't want to forget my friends to the north, and U.S.-based multinational corporations. This matters. I know that the Chinese are doing more patents. They're increased, they're small, they're engineering patents, they're slight improvements on processes, but if you want to talk about the game-changing stuff that you want to bet on that's going to make the world work over the next 20 years, overwhelmingly that stuff is being driven in the United States of America. I don't know if it's Bill Gates' new battery technology that's going to work and be the next game-changer, it's going to be in biotech, it's going to be in nanotech, but if you want to make that bet, and by the way, the Chinese Central Bank wants to make it too, you're going to make it here. I love the fact that we live in a society as well where broad ideologies can come together, work together, and make lots of money. I applaud the fact that we live in a place that a guy like Peter Schiff can make an enormous coin for himself, and I think you guys should too. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ian Bremmer. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America. And now, to summarize his position for the motion... Peter Schiff, he is CEO and Chief Global Strategist of Euro-Pacific Capital. He is also author of the upcoming book, The Real Crash, A Blueprint for a Bankrupt America. Peter Schiff. I think, you know, part of the problem having this debate at this particular point in time, it would kind of be like having a debate in 2005 over which country does real estate better, uh, the United States or, or China. Because in 2005, everybody thought it was great uh, in the U.S. for the housing market. Everybody was buying a house, even the people that couldn't afford them. Everybody had second homes, and, uh, and it was great. But, of course, it was a bubble, and it couldn't last. And that's the same thing with the U.S. economy. If you want to uh, look at the U.S. economy and measure it by how much money we spend and, and how much we consume and, and, and why do we have a huge trade deficit, I think what's really happening here is we have a bubble in the entire economy. And it is based on excess consumption, excess debt. The Chinese, they're not making a big bet on the U.S. Treasury market because they want to. It's because they think they have to. If they can wave a wand and replace all their treasuries with gold, they do it. The problem is they're afraid because they know if they try to sell, they'll crush the market. But we are on the verge of this collapse. And it's because we abandon all the principles of capitalism that we once had. And these are the principles that China is now adopting. Is China perfect? Not at all. They still have a lot, uh, to, a lot of progress to make, but they are making that progress. The problem with us is we're still moving in the wrong direction. And we're moving in that direction more rapidly. And when we actually have our crisis, when we have a sovereign debt crisis, when the dollar plunges and we really have to confront the grim reality of our situation, the fact that we've been living beyond our means for generations and it has to come to an end, then we can have this debate again. And I think we'll have a much different reaction in the audience as to how well America does capitalism. Thank you, Peter Schiff. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Minxing Pei, professor of government at Claremont McKenna and author of China's Trapped Transition, The Limits of Developmental Autocracy. Does China do capitalism better than the U.S.? We have to add one adjective. China does do a certain kind of capitalism better than the U.S. That's crony capitalism. And I don't think Americans want to excel in that category. Because in China, under that kind of capitalism, you're not going to get clean air to breathe. You're afraid to buy baby formula because crony capitalism cannot provide food safety. And if you are part of the elite, crony capitalism serves you really well 
because I've read that elites in China, political elites, are now installing air filtering systems in their cars, in their homes. But what about ordinary people? The vision of capitalism Peter champions is a vision of 19th century capitalism. Thank God America has come a long way and will not go back. Let's also imagine 20 years from now, which system will be there? I can safely bet 20 years from now, democracy, democratic capitalism will still be around in the U.S. But can you say this about the Communist Party in China in the next 20 years with this kind of capitalism? I'm not so sure. My bet is that it will not be there. So at the end of the day, it will be American capitalism that triumphs over crony capitalism. Thank you, Minxing Pei. This is our motion, China does capitalism better than America. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Orville Schell, an award-winning journalist and director of Asia Society's Center on U.S.-China Relations. Well, Minxing, amen. Uh, I really want to agree with you, and I truly hope you're right. But who would have thought five or ten years ago that we would be sitting here tonight even having this debate, that there would be any kind of uh, equilibrium even to discuss between these two great economic systems? Twenty years ago, impossible. Thirty years ago, when I first went to China, it was unthinkable. Um, China is undeniably in transition. We are a more finished product trying to regain our balance. And I worry about the United States. I think we have a good model, but I think we haven't played it very well. I think we've deceived ourselves. I think we've fallen into a lot of uh, self-deception about what has made this country great and strong. It's a combination between regulation and control and wisdom at the top, setting an equitable and fair system and a free market with a vibrant set of entrepreneurs and innovators at the bottom. China is still trying to find its balance between these, these things. I don't know where they're going to go. I don't know how it's going to end up. I can't see the future for us or them. But I can see the last five or ten years. And I think everyone in this room should acknowledge that despite all its imperfections, despite the human rights questions, despite all of these other things, that what China has accomplished is pretty extraordinary. Something has been working pretty well. And uh, all we can do is sit and wait. But if we want to fix something, we're not going to fix China. The question is, are we going to fix ourselves? Thank you, Orville Schell. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side our live audience feels has argued best. I also want to say, uh, we, we, I think all of us who are in, with Intelligence Squared are delighted by the spirit with which this panel came to this debate tonight, uh, the level of arguments, the fact that you stuck to ideas, that it didn't get nasty or personal, but was thoughtful and provocative. I want to thank you for the way that you've conducted yourself during this debate. Okay, and uh, so I now have the results. It's all in. We have asked you to vote twice, once before the debate and once again after the debate. This is the, the final result on who wins this argument, according to our live audience here. Our motion is China does capitalism better than America. Before the debate, 17% of you 
were in favor of the motion, 50% against, and 33% undecided. After the debate, 9% are for the motion. That's down 8%. 85% support the motion. That's up 35%. 6% are undecided. The team arguing against the motion, China does capitalism better than America, wins this debate. Our congratulations to them. And thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We will see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. To hear the full unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org slash intelligence squared. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.